Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in audio-only form this week. I decided to take a break from the ring light that you have seen adorning my face and making sure that my eyes <laughs> burn. That's that's exactly what it does. So today I have a beverage on one side, as you are familiar <laughs> with me doing when we were back in Odessa only days, and I am currently looking at my unshaved legs. <laughs> a vision, always give people a visual Maya, and also I am in uh, maternity jeans, which I feel like I need to explain because if you ever wanted to feel better about your day, I feel like I am the source reason <laughs> for you and uh, i have a few things to say i'm not pregnant is the first thing that i think i need to explain to the public i just uh, shop at primark because as i established i'm a cheapskate if you shop at primark yourself and if you are familiar with uh, not being a keen shopper and not actually using the changing rooms you know a few things Thing number one is that they're labels, right? They're like stuck in that ugly way on whatever object you are about to purchase, in this case, jeans. So, of course, I'm just going around in that jeans category, just feeling those jeans up like like a real creep, you know. And, well, this pair of jeans is like the softest pair of jeans my hands have ever touched. So I pick them up in my size. I go to checkout. I don't check the inside label. I come home. This is this is where I would fail as a detective, though, because I wore these jeans for a couple of days, and only after a couple of days, I was like, "Hmm, I see a couple of legs." I'm very suspicious of these jeans. And number one, they are like very loose for being the jeans of my size. I'm like interesting. But you know, of course, a person with an ego like mine starts thinking like, I've been doing great in the gym. I have been losing weight. No, then I have a reality check. I realize I haven't. Here is where I head towards what should have been my first and only clue that these are the maternity jeans, which I also didn't know. I just thought they were designed differently. Apparently, maternity jeans, this is groundbreaking for everybody, especially if you were a parent. They have like this little thing that actually covers the belly, like makes it super like comfortable, I guess. I don't know what else would it serve for. But I thought, oh my god, they care about my food baby, right? <laughs> like Primark is making the most comfortable jeans. So here we are. I actually checked the inside label after a couple of clues that I have been given by my own brain, finally, after way too long. And yes, I have no regrets. That is the conclusion of this story. Now that I have painted a picture for you of how I look like, let's dive into the expressions of the day and then one of the most morbid cases that you will ever hear of. Maya is the name, by all means necessary is the game. It is the podcast that you are listening to in audio form now. Some would say that is how podcasts are intended to be and I should retract from YouTube. I, you don't want to see my ugly face. Some of us just believe that you should be able to see the visuals and also that I should sometimes have a break from it. Good, good. We are talking about Isla Vista massacre today. I have heard this place being pronounced completely differently and um, I'm going to tell you all that you are wrong. Because if this is a place named in Spanish, that is how it should be pronounced. Cool. Now, the two expressions of the day. The first expression is under the weather. What does it mean? We all know it. We all love it. 
we don't really love it because it means feeling sick. But did you know that this is the old term coming from the days of old sailing ships? Any sailor that would be feeling sick would be sent below the deck to protect him from the weather. And because they would quite literally then be below deck, they would also be under the weather. It doesn't necessarily even have to refer to them feeling ill. Sometimes when they would experience high seas or when the water would be rough, well, they would again retrieve below the deck. They would go down to their cabins and yet again, quite literally, the location that they would retreat to would be under the weather. The next expression of the day is on cloud nine. I really did not intend to give you like a freaking weather forecast today, but here we are again. This saying, this article says, dates back to the early 1800s and it was coined during the time when clouds were a topic of conversation. I don't know if these people were British because here weather is still very much the topic of every single small talk, hence why. I hate it. But what this meant was that at the time, meteorologists would judge these clouds and they would categorize them into 10 basic cloud types. Now, all of those clouds have names like cumulus, stratus. I'm not going to bore you with all of them. But obviously, to make these observations easier, they would also assign numbers to the clouds. And when you think about these categories, the lowest clouds would be zero. And then one of the tallest ones would be cloud nine. This means that if you are on cloud nine, you are extremely high up, which of course gives it the sensation that you are feeling overjoyed. Now that is it for the expressions of the day. Well, that's kind of incorrect because we have to go through the legend, through the terminology in order for you to understand what the hell I'm on about today. Because this episode is a bit different than the other two we have had this month. We have spoken about pickup artists so far. And today we are going a step further because we aren't just talking about pickup artistry, there is a bit of that in there, but we are truly talking about the incel culture. The incel culture, you could really say, is under the umbrella of Manosphere. Manosphere is a web of online forums and blogs that reject mainstream conceptions of gender inequality. There are groups under Manosphere, such as the Red Pill that we spoke about last week, which was at the time the Reddit sub-forum with more than 200,000 members of men that would be discussing how the culture today lacks the positive identity for men. Other groups involve men going their own way, or MGTOW. This is a group that focuses on male self-ownership, and this group fights for the rights of men who are disadvantaged by modern society's development. I am laughing because the same day that I wrote this line down, I have of course went to watch the high school musical song performance of the day. The, the most legendary one. I got to go on my own way. And the comments on that video are just legendary. I beg of you. <laughs> I don't want to increase the number of like views that that video has. 
But every single comment is mocking the fact that these two teenagers are acting like they're going through the most dramatic divorce of a century. And truly, if that doesn't describe High School Musical as a whole concept, I don't know what does. Like, how were the girls losing it over Zac Efron from that period of time? I understand losing it over him now, but then, nah. Nah, we really need to do better, man. Next up, we simply must talk about incels. Incel is shortened for involuntary celibate. And this is the subculture of people, mostly when we speak about incels, we refer to men, that define themselves as unable to find a romantic or sexual partner, in spite of them really, really wanting to. There is a subterm there that is true cell that I haven't heard until this research, and that is the true incel, meaning the person that never had any form of physical intimacy, including kissing and holding hands. And true cells also believe that they have little or no chance of actually changing that, changing their status. The way that incels see the world is that on top of the hierarchy you have chads. And chads are probably the guys you think about when you hear the name chad. Mostly white, privileged, you know, nice hairline still, no receding hairline, six-pack, sporty, athletic. The guys that you see portrayed as main characters on TV shows. And according to incels, 80% of women are into chads, and chads only represent 20% of men. But now, because the math doesn't match up there, 80% of women can't end up with 20% of men, that means that they resort to betas. So, So chads are alphas, but these women now, they need to resort to betas. And with these betas, women milk them for money, for like plastic surgery, to really work on themselves in order, again, aiming to reach the chads, to reach this 20% of men. By default, by this theory, even betas never truly stand a chance of love, let alone incels, who are the bottom feeders, who nobody wants or would ever settle for. And according to incels, because we would never give them a chance, because we would never even consider dating somebody like an incel, we treat them as if they were genetically inferior to us. And because of that, we, us women, we need to suffer. So what's important to know about incels? Because when I tell you that logic about like 80% of women wanting, you know, 20% of men, you're like, okay, that's not so far-fetched. That's pretty much why all of the main characters in TV shows and movies look the same. But when it comes to incels, they're really not on the side of women. And if what they wanted was only sex, then they might value sex workers, for example, wishing to legalize sex work. But because they are misogynists, they often express disgust towards any idea of women, whatever level on their hierarchy they're at, and they treat them and call them whores. Because of this, they aren't really looking for sex. They are looking for the absolute male supremacy. And they are different to pickup artists because they're not really even about trying to get women to sleep with them. 
but they also conduct different dating site experiments and publish results on their forums, kind of matching who we spoke about last week. One such man who expressed his opinions online was Elliot Roger. It all has to come to this. Tomorrow is the day of retribution. The day in which I will have my revenge against humanity, against all of you. For the last eight years of my life, ever since I've hit puberty, I've been forced to endure an existence of loneliness, rejection, and unfulfilled desires, all because girls have never been attracted to me. Girls gave their affection and sex and love to other men, but never to me. I'm 22 years old, and I'm still a virgin. I've never even kissed a girl. I've been through college for two and a half years, more than that, actually. And I'm still a virgin. That has been very torturous. College is the time when everyone experiences those things such as sex and fun and pleasure. But in those years, I've had to rot in loneliness. It's not fair. You girls have never been attracted to me. I don't know why you girls aren't attracted to me, but I will punish you all for it. It's an injustice, a crime, because I don't know what you don't see in me. I'm the perfect guy. And yet you throw yourselves at all these obnoxious men instead of me, the supreme gentleman. I will punish all of you for it. <laughs> On the day of retribution, I am going to enter the hottest sorority house of UCSB. And I will slaughter every single spoiled, stuck-up, blonde slut I see inside there. All those girls that I've desired so much, they would have all rejected me and looked down upon me as an inferior man if I ever made a sexual advance towards them. While they throw themselves at these obnoxious brutes. I'll take great pleasure in slaughtering all of you. You will finally see that I am, in truth, the superior one, the true alpha male. <laughs> yes. After I've annihilated every single girl in the sorority house, I'll take to the streets of Isla Vista and slay every single person I see there. In 2014, Elliot Roger killed six and injured dozens more in an attempt to prove men like him are underappreciated by women they can't have. He then made sure he's not prosecuted for his crimes by all means necessary. This is the story of Isla Vista Massacre. 
On May the 23rd, Peter Roger, Elliot's father, started rushing to Elliot's apartment because he had just received the video that I have played before the intro. Once he was closer to the neighborhood where he lived, a sheriff called him and told him to actually come to the nearby Home Depot parking to wait for further details. He had just sent them the video that I played before the intro. Peter Rogers said that he will remember this for the rest of his life because they told him that they found a deceased person behind the wheel with a gunshot wound to the head and Elliot's license in his pocket. And they said that this person, they can't see him at the moment for obvious reasons, but the person they found behind the wheel fits the description on the driving license and fits the image that they saw. What Peter Roger didn't know yet was that his son was a mass murderer, that Elliot used knives, that he used his handgun and his own car, to murder six people prior to killing himself. Peter is running through his head the events of the evening and he remembers enjoying dinner with friends when he received an email from his son. In this email, he found a manifesto. He found a 137-page diary addressed to his parents that were divorced at the time, to his life coach and others, entitled My Twisted World. Upon receiving this email, his mom actually googled Elliot Rogers' name and he found a YouTube video called Elliot Rogers' Retribution. I played a part of this at the beginning of the story. Before Peter even read the email, he received a phone call from his ex-wife and she sent him this YouTube video and said, like, you need to see this, you need to find him, you need to come back from LA and see what's up with him, like, so he doesn't do anything. Although Peter did watch his son's video that night, it would be three weeks after Elliot's spree that he would actually sit down and read his own manifesto. In this manifesto, Elliot detailed his childhood, family problems, his inability to get himself a girlfriend, hatred of all women, all of the incel culture, typography that we spoke about earlier, hatred towards ethnic minorities and interracial couples. And it all concluded with his master plan for this massacre. Peter thought at that moment that he could have prevented this. He knew that his son was writing and refused to share what he was writing about with his dad. So Peter would always be nudging him, asking him, can I please read it? Can you please send it to me? And Elliot would always say, oh no, 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 I'll send it to you soon enough. What his dad couldn't have known here was really the context in which he will finally receive his son's writing. So who was Elliot and what was he hiding? What was this master plan? And truly, where did it come from? Let's talk about his background. Elliot was born in 1991 and he was actually born here in the UK, in London. He would move to the US with his parents when he was only five years old and would end up being raised in LA. Something that I didn't know clearly as a fake fan apparently of the Hunger Games was that Peter Roger, his dad, was the director on the show. He was like assistant director, like second unit director. But still, he worked on the show and the family was quite well off. 
once they moved to the US, Elliot would get a younger sister, and only then his parents would get a divorce. Now in LA, his parents, for as long as they could remember, say that Elliot suffered with some mental health issues. During the next couple of years, they would try to set Elliot up on play dates because they described him as a high-functioning autistic child, but he has always been withdrawn. They would bring him from one counselor to the therapist. This therapist would then prescribe him some antipsychotic medication, and Elliot would be moved from school to school. Okay, him changing schools, I made that sound a lot less dramatic than it actually was. He would be the guy who would tell his parents of how bullied he was, like how badly he is treated in every single one of these schools, and then would beg them in tears to rescue him from what he described as bullying environment. And I am not undermining bullying here, but this kid was well off. His kids gave him a car from as soon as he knew how to drive. He had an allowance, which we'll speak about later. So, yes, he definitely could have been bullied because of how socially awkward he was and how isolated he would be. But also he could have turned this around. He always had professional help, literally just a phone call away. In 2011, after he left one of his schools, after one day just having a panic attack that left him immobilized and his teachers had to call his mom, they would all move to Isla Vista, which is about 85 miles north of where his parents lived. Actually, he would be the only one moving here because he started attending college. He started attending classes at Santa Barbara City College, but he wouldn't have completed any courses since 2011, according to the student records. So now we have a situation where he isn't really going to college. He's isolating on a next level. He isn't really even having a job because his parents are still giving him certain amount of allowance in his bank account due to his mental health issues. He is still being treated for these issues. He even has a life skills coach at this moment whom he met in LA for what this life skills coach called psychosocial rehabilitation and life skills instruction. But this move to a new place, of course, won't just make him suddenly social. So he was completely isolated, with mental health issues, with no friends, and not to mention inability to meet and talk to a girl. And this last bit is going to be what will infuriate him in particular. Elliot here was definitely diagnosed with a couple of things. Even before he moved to LA, when he was still in school, he would display certain behaviors like making noises, stepping his feet or leg, or just repeating certain responses like great or cool. And the therapists and counselors believed that he displayed characteristics of high-functioning autism or Asperger's syndrome. In 2007, so even before moving to LA, he would end up being diagnosed with pervasive development disorder. This is now known as autism, but it is characterized by delays in the development when it comes to socialization and communication skills. 
When it comes to school counselors, special education assistants, they saw Elliot a lot differently from what the students saw him. They were really protective of him. In plenty of instances, they actually referred to him as our Elliot. And they did acknowledge that probably some of Elliot's longest conversations seem to be with some of these special education assistants, and Elliot would usually discuss World of Warcraft with them. They did acknowledge that sometimes when he would try to socialize, it seemed like he was just present, like he wasn't all there. He was just there in spirit, but like his mind was other places. But still, they always thought of him as somebody who is gentle and really smart. So once they heard about the manifesto and the videos, Miss Smith, who was one of the special education assistants, said this doesn't sound like the kid that we knew. He presented himself as this very innocent, very soft-spoken person. He never even raised his voice. So how did his parents see him and why did they maybe not intervene more or what have they done? And also, I don't particularly like this, like he would have never raised a voice. That doesn't really mean much. It's actually a lot creepier with the fact that he never did. Like, had he raised his voice, I don't think people would have taken it seriously. It's creepy enough with this fake imposed evil laughter that we have witnessed during that video before his massacre. It's just ten times more creepy with the fact that he was the silent mastermind of this attack. So let's talk about Peter Roger, because here is really where we have a lot of information. Any way that you would look, a member of Elliot's family was on a red carpet, whether it was his dad, whether it was his stepmother, who was this Moroccan actress, or whether it was his mom, Lee Chin, who was a unit nurse on certain films. So when you look at it from far away, it just seems like Elliot is this privileged kid who is attending all of these movie premieres, wearing designer clothes. As I mentioned, his parents got him a BMW as soon as he could drive. Even when it would come to his manifesto, he would boast that his mom was a friend of Steven Spielberg and that she even dated George Lucas, that guy behind Star Wars, briefly. Then, within his manifesto, he would also judge his father and his work as if he knew how to do it better. So Peter Roger, apparently, after the success of Hunger Games, had made this movie that was called Oh My God in 2009. And apparently he paid for it out of his own pocket. He paid around $200,000 and only sold a couple of tickets for it once it was released. Within the manifesto, Elliot would say, if only my failure of a father had made better decisions with his directing career instead wasting his money on that stupid documentary. This is where we got a step back, because this isn't just about incel culture, is it? It is just about shitting on every single person. Just imagine being a parent and your son writes this as quite literally his last words directed at you. Also, during this period of time when his dad wasn't really doing as successfully as before, the family was also trying to help Elliot as much as they possibly could. 
Even at the time, the family always thought that because of the way that Elliot was withdrawn, the way that he was socially awkward, just stuck in his room watching stuff, playing games, that he might end up committing suicide one day. They never expected this level of destruction, though. And while his parents would look at him and see this loner who was just stuck in his own room, well, the manifesto and the video that I have played portray a more anxious, a more psychotic, if you will, kind of person. This would also be the time when he would kind of transfer all of that rage that he had about literally every single member of his family onto the girls, probably because he was of the age when he would be looking around and seeing everybody started dating, seeing all of these happy couples on campus and outside, and he just realized that there is something in him preventing him from approaching the girls. Elliot actually described in the manifesto this event when he would end up seeing two hot blondes waiting on a bus stop, and he kind of just smiled at them, and both of them just sort of ignored him. They didn't respond with a smile or anything. So in a rage, he would make a U-turn. He would get out of his car, go to where they were on this bus stop and just splash this Starbucks latte that he had all over them. He described that this gave him the feeling of spiteful satisfaction as he saw this latte stain their jeans. Even when he would say, again, who he described as hot blondes in a public park, just chatting up with the fraternity boys, well, he would get so enraged, he wouldn't be able to control himself. He would even walk into a Kmart, into a shop, get a water gun and fill it with orange juice, and then go back to the park and just sort of spray this orange juice all over them. As you know, I like to point out at how many points people could have stopped here. Our boy Elliot could have definitely stopped himself. Just for you to understand the level of rage, like he actually went inside of a shop, looked for specific items, still didn't come down by the point that he reached checkout, and then he would get outside and still proceed back to this public park, which I don't know what the distance was, and spray these girls, like, put the orange juice inside of the pistol, still not calm, and proceed with this action. There would be forensic psychiatrists that didn't have any connection with the family and weren't employed by the family that said that he was displaying the classic traits of people with psychosis, that people with psychosis display. So, mentally, this is where Elliot was when he reached Isla Vista. Eventually, he actually stopped going to classes altogether and appeared to live his life just online. He would be playing games like World of Warcraft, but also he would be writing posts on these websites that we spoke about in the past few weeks, Pick Up Artist Hate, which is this online forum, where forum writers would rant against pickup artists who had more success with women. Here, whenever Elliot would write, he would express disgust at women, he would question how they could resist his charms. Because again, may I remind you, he considered himself to be a supreme gentleman, and he didn't understand how women did not like him. He would urge his fellow incels to fight back. 
he would write, one day incels will realize their true strength and numbers and will overthrow this oppressive feminist system. Start envisioning a world where women fear you. I think this will be a good time to say that he um, might have been a fan of Game of Thrones, which is also how this line was inspired. Wait, I need to check something. Okay, yeah, you know what I was about to... You know what I was checking, right? Fake fan. Fake fan alert. The final episode date for Game of Thrones was 19 for May 2019. Man, I would never do this to a series. (laughs) Are you okay, Maya? This is definitely not appropriate considering the crime. But I would never... Whatever the crime was, I would still make sure I finish my series. That is why you take your days off when La Casa de Papel is like estrenando, you know, is showing up, featuring. What is the word? Estrenar. Do it. Remember the word. Showcasing. Whatever. Fuck it. That is all I'm gonna say on the matter. Now let me play this little bit from Todd Grande's video on Elliot, because I think he makes a great point. At a BMW, nice clothes, $300 sunglasses. I think what happened here with Roger is that he looked at the world and thought that everybody had the same thoughts and feelings that he had. He believed everyone was narcissistic. It didn't make sense to him that there wasn't some materialistic formula he could use to connect with women. It was almost like mathematics to him. He would do certain things and women would be attracted to him. He didn't need any depth or sensitivity. His inability to see things from the perspective of others kept him trapped in a world of loneliness and rejection, although his social awkwardness didn't help him either. This is a pretty good example of how a lack of insight can lead to real problems. What I find interesting is that Roger had been treated by a number of mental health professionals who addressed his social awkwardness on many occasions. I think that Roger simply couldn't reach a point where he could see how others viewed him. I see exactly what Todd Grande refers to here. Todd Grande is a licensed counselor, by the way, unless I just assume that everybody's familiar with all of the content that I consume online on YouTube, but no. Like, licensed counselor. He's a licensed counselor that does these great YouTube videos. They're kind of like short. They are these short summaries on the psychological profile, if you wish, of a human. But they give you the context and why he thinks what he thinks. And this is when Elliot moved online. He kind of started, well, being even more delusional in a way towards who he really was. He, as Todd said, could never see himself from another perspective. So online, because he was protected by a screen, by the IP address, instead of what he would do in schools, which is just freeze and cry and leave and never come back, here he would kind of defend himself. So when people would be taunting him, calling him an average-looking manlet, he would respond saying that he is a drop-dead gorgeous, fabulous, stylish, exotic gem among thousands of rocks. In 2011, when he was in Isla Vista, there was another event that makes me really believe Todd Grande's assessment here. And this is when he started taking up karate lessons. Elliot would say in his journal that he felt like he was really getting the hang of it. He wrote that the ability to fight better is power and a major confidence boost. 
And this is like his first day of karate lessons. So he definitely had some huge inflated ego, which just further develops in 2013. And this event we're going to talk about now. So this was sort of like the last ditch attempt for him to lose his virginity at the age of 21. He plucked up the courage to go to this party. But at this party, he got so drunk and just violent that he again started going into this psychotic rage and he tried to push people off the ledge. This place had a balcony and he just started pushing people over it. When I say people, yes, of course, I mean he tried pushing women off the ledge. And when a couple of friends of these women intervened, they shoved him off this ledge instead, and this resulted in Elliot's ankle being broken. So, of course, he, you know, like, cried, invented a sob story, and then called his dad to pick him up. Elliot here would tell his dad that he was a victim, he has been bullied at this party, he was called a faggot, and then they beat him up. His dad to this said that he was a really good liar. And this would be sort of like the line that would repeat itself when it comes to how his dad perceived Elliot. Like, in every situation, he would just be like, I just bought into it. Like, he was a decent storyteller. And he always presented himself as a victim of some form of bullying. The police here would hear the same story from Elliot, but they would later drop the case. And they would drop the case after finding out that Elliot might have actually been the bully in this situation. And that makes me feel like, yet again, with the privilege that his parents had, also came a lot of negligence, a lot of ignorance that could have helped really prevent something like this from happening. Because there were red flags left, right and center when it comes to Elliot. After this event, his psychosis, his anxiety was just reaching another peak. He started taking Xanax, according to his medical records. And he also started recording these videos. A lot of them wouldn't even end up being published, including plans of him and how he lures different couples or different people to his house and how he would torture them in the style that Theon Greyjoy was tortured by, I think it was Ramsay, on Game of Thrones. Again, had you not done any of this to begin with, and actually watched Game of Thrones until the end, you would have realized how the villain ended up in this situation. My man, Elliot, fake fans all over the world. Even if it wasn't for the medical records, even if it wasn't for all of the red flags out of any social interaction that any single person had with Elliot, it would be his financial records that could have flagged up for his parents, for anybody monitoring this man's bank accounts, that he was ramping up. And this is where, I'm sorry, but I partially just have to blame the parents for not preventing it. When you think about, oh, could I have prevented it? Because, why do I say that? If you look at his bank account details that police made public after the rampage, between 2012 and 2014, there were eight purchases, either relating to guns or relating to some form of tactical equipment, target range booking so that he could practice his shooting, 
But these guns and these target practice bookings weren't cheap, especially the guns. The one that he bought in 2012 was almost 800 pounds. His purchase from Gun World from 2013 was over a thousand pounds, almost 1,200. In 2014, he got another gun for, again, similar price. What kind of allowance are we giving this man who is clearly not mentally stable? Okay, cool. If you are rich, give him this allowance. Fuck it. You don't have to give him the same allowance that I was getting when I first came to the UK. Cool. Make it limitless, but then monitor it. Then you should have the access to that same account and see what he's spending the money on. Because this was happening for years. Had this been done, they wouldn't have just seen these eight transactions. But also between January 2014 and April 2014, he made 10 more firearms-related transactions. So some of them, yes, were in the shooting ranges, the others involved purchases of guns. During this period, so January to April 2014, Elliot was uploading more and more bizarre content on YouTube. None of them contained like a specific threat at the time, but still, his mom googled his name and found all of these videos. So she calls his life coach. This life coach calls the mental health hotline at the area where Elliot lived, and they alerted the police to conduct a welfare check on Elliot. So six police officers show up at this man's flat and they just determine there just isn't enough criteria for an involuntary hold. Because again, he knew how to lie. He knew how to talk. Had they opened a single freaking cupboard, they would have seen the amount of guns that this man had on him. Elliot would tell these officers that his mother was a worrywart and explain that there is just nothing for them to worry about. These videos are just a sign, it's just the way he expresses himself, because he's just lonely, doesn't have any friends, but nothing to worry about. Had they searched, as I mentioned, they would have managed to locate all of the guns, and had they done even a brief internet search history on one of his computers, they would have found some disturbing searches, because... Just pause this episode for a second and think about which historical figure would have Elliot really obsessed with. Who would have inspired the juices flowing in him? Well, okay, so let me tell you. Uh, The searches are, did Adolf Hitler have a girlfriend? Adolf Hitler's childhood. I've never had a female friend. Nazi anime. Who in the fuck would want to watch Nazi anime? Heinrich Himmler. Roommate takes very long showers. Young people are all mean. Modern torture devices. Spanish Inquisition torture devices. If Hitler was born today. Blood elves are Nazis. Heinrich Himmler Urban Dictionary. Reincarnation of Hitler. If you were Adolf Hitler. And just like that, with those six police officers turning their head and leaving that flat, we reached the point of no return, even though truly in this story the point of no return came about a couple of years before 2014. So let me play a bit of Elliot explaining why this has had to happen, yet again from that bizarre video where he laughs monaically. If I can't have you, girls, I will destroy you. 
<laughs> you denied me a happy life. And in turn, I will deny all of you life. <laughs> it's only fair. I hate all of you. Humanity is a disgusting, wretched, depraved species. If I had it in my power, I would stop at nothing to reduce every single one of you to mountains of skulls and rivers of blood. And rightfully so. You deserve to be annihilated. And I'll give that to you. You never showed me any mercy, and so I will show you none. <laughs> you forced me to suffer all my life, and that will make you all suffer. I've waited a long time for this. I'll give you exactly what you deserve, all of you, all you girls who rejected me and looked down upon me and, you know, treated me like scum while you gave yourselves to other men. And all of you men for living a better life than me, all of you sexually active men, I hate you. I hate all of you. I can't wait to give you exactly what you deserve. Utter annihilation. <laughs> on May the 23rd, 2014, before the first 911 call came in, Elliot would send that email with the manifesto and his retribution video to his parents, to the love coach and other people. It would be around 9.27 p.m. when the dispatchers got that first call. But what nobody knew was that Elliot has already started his spree, because he actually started his attacks in his own apartment where he lived at Seville Road. He would start by killing his two roommates, Wei Han Wang and Chen Hong, and a friend that was staying with them at the time, George Chen. He would stab all three of them to death before then going on his shooting rampage. Wei Han Wang was only 20 years old, he was the best friends with the other two victims, but he would tell his parents that he didn't really get along with Roger. At the time, he was studying computer programming, and for the summer, he planned to go to Bay Area, spend some time with his family, and also visit Yellowstone National Park, and to celebrate his 21st birthday then. When Weihan died, his parents lost the only child. Cheng was 20 as well, and he was described as somebody who was always nice to classmates and his fellow computer programmers. Everybody said that Cheng was the most giving, kindest person that would always give people different tips, that would always help them out, and just wanted everybody to achieve the best grades in class. George, another victim, the friend of the other two flatmates, was 19 at the time. 
He was also described as a very giving person. People would say later that he volunteered on a computer camp for children. He also volunteered at this Buddhist-based organization. And he'd be the type of guy who would help the elderly. He would help these neighbors get their mail, take their trash out. Just a sweet, helpful, warm-hearted individual. After stabbing all of these people that were truly like the best free humans out there... Elliot proceeds to go to Starbucks. He gets some triple vanilla latte or whatever, like the most expensive drink that you can get at Starbucks because he still likes to flex that money. And then around 8.30 p.m., he is seen on his laptop in the car. He is recording that retribution video. You can even see like the Starbucks cup in that video sort of in the background. It's just so eerie once you know that he has already killed three people and he's just sitting in a parking lot telling weird shit for the camera that he has probably rehearsed and rehearsed in his head and then uploading it to YouTube. Next, he will drive to this Alpha Phi sorority house and here his plan was to just knock on the front door And then when nobody answered the front door because they know that they shouldn't be answering to these creeps, he just waited for a few minutes and then he turned the corner just to see if maybe he has some luck and some people are just nearby outside. And unfortunately, some people were outside that day. This is when he just started shooting and he killed two people and injured three more. Here he killed Veronica Weiss, who was 19 years old. She was a freshman and she lived for this Delta sorority. She was a tomboy at heart and she grew up loving sports. In high school, she joined this cross-country team. She joined the swimming team, water polo team. This girl was like earning straight A's and still joined all of these sports teams. And everybody again described her as this kind-hearted person, saying that this is just a tragedy committed by a horrible monster. Katie Cooper, another person that he killed there by the sorority house, was 22 years old, and she was just weeks from graduating. She was kind of the opposite from Veronica, so she was a girly girl, she loved to dress up, wear a cute dress and pearls, to go out and to have fun. One of the teachers later would say that she was smart and she was actually one of those people that stands out in a class. She said she taught about 2,500 students and Katie was a standout. She actually described this girl as unforgettable. There's a map of this that I will put on YouTube, but after this shooting, Elliot just goes back into his car and now he's driving and just shooting at random. This is when, just down the road, he shoots out of his car and he hits Christopher Martinez. Christopher was 20, he was also studying at this college, and he planned to graduate and then study law. After killing Chris, Elliot just keeps driving. He fires into a coffee shop, he shot this female cyclist, he strike up a pizza place. He even exchanged gunshots with this sheriff deputy that responded to one of his 911 calls and then struck two other pedestrians. He would shoot anybody in his way and he would also struck a couple of skateboarders by his car. And at this time he is pursued by the police. So 
one last time in order to make sure that he doesn't go to jail, that he as a coward backs out of this and doesn't end this spree alive. He crashes his car and at 9.35 the police surround him and they find him dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Now after this the deputies have to go to his flat and this is where they discover that there were three more victims, his flatmates and their friend. They also find his own laptop just open on his bed. On the screen was his YouTube page, which if you could refresh, you could see that new video that he had just uploaded. And also within his email inbox was that manifesto that he has sent to people. Of course, as you could imagine, this kind of rampage inspired a ton of other incels. They all hailed him as a saint and a hero. And a lot of other mass shooters in the future will actually cite Elliot Roger as their inspiration. Experts will later say something like this happens because in this community, when this kind of veneration, adoration of these figures that commit violence takes place, they look up to this person as an inspiration, as somebody whose steps they should follow. And the logic here, unfortunately, is that more examples they have to look to in the past, more likely it is to happen in the future. But for me, the most bizarre thing in this case is how his dad viewed his life and death. The father of Adam Lanza now says that there are times he wishes his son had never been born. Do you ever feel that way? That's a really loaded question. Um, I... That's a loaded question, Barbara. A part of me says yes. And the reason is because he did an awful lot of harm to young men and young women who didn't deserve to die. And my son did it. This kind of shit makes me so angry, man. Like, the, it was as easy as just monitoring his bank account. Maybe not putting allowance in there. Maybe inspiring him to actually go get a job. Whatever menial job in Starbucks. He seems to love it. There's just not even an attempt of guilt. Of him maybe reflecting on himself. Of saying what I could have maybe done to help him. It's just blatantly like, I mean, part of me kind of wish, yeah, he was never born. That would have been great. And I don't know about you, but I'm just left sitting here thinking it was actually so simple. On a bigger scale, in the wake of this shooting, California would end up passing the law that allowed guns to be temporarily taken away, just seized from people that they determined to be dangerous. But honestly, I just have to give up when it comes to the gun laws. I just have to give up. I will never be able to understand it. Ever since I learned you can get them literally in Walmart with like a check that takes a couple of minutes, depending which state you are from. I just have to give up and don't expect much when it comes to massacres. Because how many have happened since Elliot Roger? How many people has he actually inspired? 
So before I get incensed again, let's talk about his motivations. There are multiple articles when it comes to motives and speaking about the psychology of Elliot Roger. The only thing his own therapists and counselors diagnosed him with directly was autism. I don't even think you would really call it a diagnosis, but they said he was on the spectrum. So he was never diagnosed with something else in particular. And we know he was taking Xanax for his anxiety. But there was never a particular diagnosis when then they would see that and be like, okay, this is how this is treated. This is how this is treated at a particular age. What different articles point out in particular? I mean, there's everything on the planet when it comes with this guy. But what stands out for me is his narcissistic personality disorder. He could never reflect on his own actions. He could never see himself from the third perspective. And because of this, he never reflected, nor did he understand the level of damage that he was about to inflict on others. People online also speculated that he did end this spree in suicide because he was so socially ostracized. And that he just didn't see the future that wasn't this bleak. He just couldn't see any future prospects in which he wasn't this isolated, in which he had success with women, in which his life was suddenly to turn around. But most of what we spoke about today and most of everything that I have found online can be really wrapped into the profile of an injustice collector combined with his own personality traits of a sadistic person. As we spoke about in the story, there is no denial, there's no discussion that Elliot lacked empathy. But also beyond that, as I told you, he made videos about plans on how to lure people into his apartment. And in detail, he would describe how he would be torturing them. Experts would say that his psychopathic traits included this grandiose sense of himself. He felt himself as this superior, supreme gentleman. And the extreme narcissism that Elliot was displaying is actually quite common among the mass shooters. He wanted attention, he wanted to be known for his actions, and he was therefore not embarrassed to share that he was this kissless virgin. And when you combine everything, when you combine the idea that he never saw himself from the first perspective, that he never saw how he could possibly turn his life around the sadistic traits that he was displaying and how he planned to destroy people that he lived with and everybody at that sorority house. You are led to believe that no matter how much time would have passed, somebody like Elliot, an injustice collector, would never forget or forgive the wrongs that he believes people are responsible for. He believed he was wrong by the whole society and finally he believed he was wrong by women. And this is what ultimately drove him to murder. So that is indeed the story of Elliot motherfucking Roger. This one has my head spinning. And as you are clicking on that link to your next Zoom call, or if you are physically walking into the room, first of all, what a bummer. Like, that's never a welcome opportunity. Just imagine seeing your manager like face to face. That's a bummer. I'd like you to think whether Elliot Rogers' story and stories alike are the issue of a particular family or are they more a representation of a society? 
but they're more an issue within the society that many people are responsible for. Because here in this story, I truly think it is the latter. I truly think it is the society. This could have been prevented at so many points that it's actually just painful to even listen and research this story. He should not have been allowed that allowance in the first place. So that's the part that his family was responsible for. He should have probably been seen by people that were the outsiders not somebody within his family or like with the knowledge of the family and their privilege. I mean, like as in actual specialists, he should have never been sold those guns in the first place by the authorities, wherever, whichever shop he was buying them at. And finally, he should have been stopped by the authorities. There were multiple occasions when people would call about Elliot. There were... There was that welfare check. There are so many red flags that because of people like Elliot Roger, because in my opinion this isn't an individual issue, we now as a society should be able to spot. We should be able to spot all of these red flags and know who to report them to, know how to address them. And unfortunately, there is no protocol. There is no protocol of how we deal with mass shooters. And there is no protocol of how we deal with communities such as pickup artists or incels. How do we address this issue in order for people like Eddie A-Game, like the free bastard that I spoke about last week, and finally people like Elliot Roger to actually sort of reflect on their own actions and turn around because I think if there is one conclusion to this month of pickup artists ending with this incel story, that is that I am yet to hear about people that went into this like pickup artistry and then completely stepped out of it. Even Neil Strauss, yes, he wrote a game, then he wrote another book about how well everything in the game wasn't bullshit, but that you know that's what the pickup artistry was at the time. But I'm yet to see people completely denying their previous work, dejecting the art in the pickup artistry, going back on their own word and saying, no, complete bullshit, I denounce this, I'm going to write a book on it, I'm going to tell the world why this is wrong and try to get all of the people that I initially convinced that this is right to turn their lives around. And until somebody proves me wrong, until they make me bite my own words, well, you gotta keep questioning the motives behind pickup artists, behind incels, behind mass murderers, and every other criminal under the sun, under the, this earth. <laughs> under the earth, Maya, where are they? Are they underground? Are they survivalists? Are they planning for the end of the world? No, hopefully not. Hopefully not. The story I'm bringing you next week and the week after will make you stop that if that is who you are at this very moment. All right. So by now, you should have started thinking about these things. And in doing so, you should be making the world a better place. One motive at a time. Goodbye, fuckers. Goodbye.